Go Late Selects, brought to you by Sky. Watch new exclusive and unmissable content only on Sky. Guess what's in my hand? Right, okay. We've um, excluded all our listeners, but uh, I'll describe what Simon is. Simon's got big fists, by the way, folks. He's holding up his uh, right hand. You want to see the size of me free? So I'm holding it in my hand. It's tiny. It's small. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like a clue? It's Have I clicked on the wrong website? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's white and it's pink. <laughs> <laughs> it's a USB charger. Let's do it! Well, welcome once again to Go Loud Selects, Go Loud Original, a Go Loud production. And it is brought to you by the people of Sky. And it's with great pleasure that Simon and I welcome back a rather bleary-eyed, but uh, very, very happy, life-changing uh, mode that he's in because he's um, now a new dad. And that is John Casey. John, welcome back. We, we we have missed you. Have you had time to miss us? Not really, Aiden, to be honest with you. Uh... <laughs> That's the right answer. You'll tell the listeners, first of all, why you're away. Uh, I've welcomed the birth of my first child, my son, Lenny. Uh, and uh, it's been, as Jerry Seinfeld Lenny. said, a surfboard on a rainbow. It's been great, but uh, tiring, <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, yeah, you're in the delirious, trippy stage of, yeah. like, when's the last time you got more than four hours consecutive sleep? Probably around the last time I spoke to you uh, doing a podcast. There you go. That's not, uh, that's, and this uh, and I love sleep. You do. Sleep uh, we know you love sleep. You've slept through some of these episodes brilliantly. I have to say. Uh, can we just say, by the way, a huge thank you to Ed's to Ed Smith Definitely, who yeah. stepped into your shoes uh, over the last couple of weeks. Thank you, Ed. Great job. Um, we'll be, we'll have you back on again because no doubt John's going to have another child. So yeah. We'll see what happens. Had them close together and all that. Bollocks that we we squid, John. Yeah. Thanks, Ed, for raising the standards yeah. that uh, I've let slip over the previous twenty episodes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, congratulations, well, John. Thanks. And baby Lenny. So why Lenny, John? Well, it's a familial connection. Uh, my wife's grandfather was named Leonard, but he'll be called Lenny and Leonard when he's in trouble. Yeah. Or Leonard, uh, you get down here court. right now. Leonard, you little, come here right now. Kind of and when he's it'll like be that, Lenny in general. Maybe go Len. All right, Len. Len when he's kind of older and yeah, he'd be Grandpa yeah. Len. Yeah, Grandpa Len. It reminds yeah. me of that thing that Robin Williams used to do in his act when he talks about becoming a father for the first time and he said, you're standing there and you're holding the baby in your arms and you're looking into their eyes and, and two things, you picture two things in your mind and the first thing that comes to mind is in, in 25, 30 years' time that your your son is standing there saying, I'd like to thank the Nobel Academy uh, with most of all my father. And then he said, you have the other thought where your son stands there and says, would you like fries with that? <laughs> <laughs> John, I'm sure you have hopes and dreams for Lenny yeah, exactly right now it's yeah. just keeping him alive and keeping him warm and keeping him happy and keeping him exactly uh, clean keeping his arse dry clean and fed and I said I can project all my hopes and fears onto him in time you know all correct, right, Daddy. Correct. Well, congratulations and uh, welcome back to the podcast and welcome one and all. Belfast boy Simon is uh, in Belfast. Who there? On BBC drama. All going well up up, up north side? Axe going great. Uh, it's going great. Yeah, week one is done in the can. <clears throat> uh, I travel up to Belfast now as soon as I finish this for week two. 
of her 15. So, yeah, all going well. Thank God. <laughs> He's already saying week two of 15. <laughs> 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 Listen, what have Sky got for us this week, Ado? Cracker, I believe. Yeah, so it's uh, the return of a hugely popular crime drama on Sky, um, which season one, of course, starred Colin Meany, uh, your old buddy. And um, season two, well, I watched the trailer. I don't know if you've seen it. It's Gangs of London, right? Yeah. Season two, come back. Holy mother of Jesus. Do you think you know this world you're in? I've seen things you haven't. You know how it feels to be powerless. To be a pawn in someone else's game. The things it makes you do. What does it feel like? To be a king. If you like crime, everything blows up in the trailer. If you like crime and gangs and yeah, just people just being killed left, right, and center. Uh, get yeah. on Gangs of London. Uh, it really is. It's full on, uh, but as well as violence for the sake of violence, there's a, a terrific uh, storyline attached. So season two, no surprise, it's set still set in London, and it continues the story of this of this city that's been torn apart by gang warfare and the, the turbulent power struggles of all these various international gangs that uh, control it. However, um, when the head of the crime family is assassinated, he being Colomini, Spoiler uh, alert. a power vacuum is, uh, is left and we know what happens in those situations. Who's going to take the throne? Um, and there's billions of pounds flowing through this one particular organization, uh, which was the organization, the, the crime family that Colomini was the head of. But now that he's dead, they've got to find out who actually wanted him killed and will they get revenge? So it's premiering on October 20th. So uh, next week. I mean, to it. say that this is a big production is putting them mightily. As you say, if you even look at the trailer for season two, mother of divine, they are thrown all the bells and whistles at this. I mean, the the cast is superb. Uh, it's a great cast. And just look at, the, look at the amount of things that are blown up in the trailer and how cool it looks. If that's your thing, this is for you, isn't it? Absolutely. And when you mention the cast, you have uh, Joe Cole, who's returning to it, Michelle Fire- Fairley, uh, who will remember from uh, Games of Thrones. What would you say about Joe? He used to play for Chelsea. <laughs> oh, yeah, not that Joe Cole, sorry. I wonder what it's like to have a uh, to be famous, but also then to be another person with the same name of uh, as you, famous like Joe Cole. Well, I'm sure we can do a deep dive into that one day next week. I can see John's eyes are lighting up with the excitement of covering that for over the space of 25 minutes. Hey, Chris so Evans is the one that springs to mind. Uh, Chris Evans is a good one. Yeah. Um, before I brought that up, I hadn't thought about it, so there's not too many obvious people coming into my head. <laughs> we Thomas know Hardy, that's about it. We, we know there's there's more than just Joe Cole and Chris Evans. Oh, and our friend Emma Chase Scanlon yeah, is uh, appearing in this television show as well. If you like crime dramas, lads, this is one of the best on TV. It really is. And season two drops when is it this week? The 20th. So uh, next week. So next week. So it's coming down the tracks, but if you want to if you want to whet the appetite, just just look at the trailer for season two. And if yeah. you obviously you haven't watched season one, well, there you go. You have a whole window of almost seven days to binge it. You'll find that on now. The city's changed. The investors have a new player. He has a major stake in this town now. Manpower. Allies. He is not to be underestimated. Elliot's back. I want them to know fear. 
to feel powerless. So listen, I've got a recommendation for you, but my my televisual watching schedule mm. uh, changed obviously because <clears throat> I haven't been home for a week. So uh, I was relying on uh, on your old pal Edo YouTube. Ah, okay. Well, so I uh, things on YouTube. I, I'm gonna occupied in your Belfast oh bar. Correct, Amundo. I am going to give you. I'm going to describe this show, and the first person to buzz in with the correct answer wins. My admiration. JC and Edo, are you standing by? Wow, a money mm-hmm. can't buy fries. Here we go. <clears throat> okay, so this show uh, ran from 1992 to 1998. Gladiators. Wrong. Cracker. Wrong. Give me another clue. Um, it ranked uh, number 38 on the TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Shows of All Time. Biker Grove. Wrong. It was the only HBO comedy to make that list. The Larry Sanders show? You know, Hank, I was just uh, wondering why you say that hey now thing. What do you mean? Well, it's just something that you used on the show, and now you're starting to use it in your personal life, and, and, and it's an affectation of some sort, isn't it? Did you ever say hey now as a, as a kid? No, I don't. I probably didn't. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, uh, I said uh, hey. Yeah. And I said... Uh, now, I mean, right, right, at sure, different sure. times, I but I, I, no, I never put them together till later in life. Uh-huh. So, in that sense, it's it's uh, it's part of my personality. Well, we have a wiener, the Larry oh, Sanders show. Well done, Johnny. Uh, it probably is, <clears throat> for my money, uh, the best sitcom uh, ever made. It's the one that everything else I hold up against. Uh, really? Even better than Upwardly yeah. Mobile? It just nudges up pretty mobile, yeah, by about. Uh, I don't know why that popped into my head when I was going. What's the best uh, TV sitcom? This, ever this show, this show won twenty four awards: Primetime Emmys, uh, American Comedy Awards, British Comedy Awards, Peabody Awards, a BAFTA. Uh, and for anybody who doesn't know or hasn't heard of this show, this is if you if you talk to the likes of Judd Apatow at the moment. Apatow, this is one of his first big breaks in, in showbiz. He was a producer on this show back in the day. It's a TV show about a TV show. So it features a fictional late night TV talk show called The Larry Sanders Show. And it's, you know, it's it's like Letterman, Leno, that kind of stuff. Uh, Gary Shandling uh, plays Larry Sanders. And uh, he was a very successful uh, stand-up comic. The late, great Gary Shanding, I should say. And this show is about the production of this TV series. So it's not only do we see the guests on the couch, and he has the guests. I mean, you name a star from the 90s, they are on. They appear on this show. They're all there. Sean Penn, the stars of X-Files. What was your man's name? Duchovny. David, David Duchovny, who has a brilliant storyline in the Larry Sanders show because he turns out that he fancies Larry. But it also then features behind the scenes, like, you know, how the show is written, how it's produced, the stupid items. The main mm-hmm. characters are Larry Sanders, obviously the host, then his sidekick, hey now, Hank Kingsley, Played brilliantly by Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, Hank Kingsley has a fan club of middle-aged women called the Kingsley Queens. (laughs) (laughs) And he has a monthly newsletter that he sends out to his fan clubs called Hanks for the Memories. (laughs) 
Nice. <laughs> nice. It's genius. And then the brilliant, the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant Rip Torn mm. plays uh, plays Artie, the producer. Any thoughts? No, but I'd like to... I'm not to sure that anyone will hear what you've got to say, young lady. Now, don't take this as a threat, but I killed a man like you in Korea, hand to hand. And so is I, this rewatch for you, Sai, or is it? It's a total rewatch. I've yeah. watched myself and my brother David. We we devoured this back in the day, and I think he used to be on BBC Two late night. And uh, you can't. I remember trying to buy a box set of it. I, I'd love if anybody's thinking of buying me a present. If anybody can buy me the six seasons of the Larry Sanders Show, a box set. Thank you very much. My address is, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. So I went on YouTube and I thought it has to be on YouTube, and I found the first three seasons, and I watched the three of them over the space of the week. A lot of comedy careers, a lot of stand-ups got their breaks on this show as well, like Dana Carvey, all those, all those guys featured on it. But it is, to this day, the final episode of season six. At the end of every episode, uh, or on every episode, I should say, Larry's the show starts and Larry comes out a la every other chat show and he does an opening monologue. And at the end of each opening monologue, He'll say, we got a great show tonight. we got Sean Penn. we got uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, we'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. No flipping. Don't flip around. No flipping. And after six seasons of it, in the last episode, it's the only comedy that's ever made me cry, and I've watched this moment over and over again. In the last show, he does his monologue, he does the show, and he finishes by doing a little speech, and he starts crying, and Shandling starts crying himself, and he finishes by saying, now you can flip. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. Now, a spin-off from that is Judd Apatow became very close friends with Chandling. So there was a spin-off. We spoke with this a couple of years ago, Edo. Judd Apatow uh, went on to produce a documentary about the life and times of Gary Chandling. And the documentary is called The Zen Diaries of Gary Chandling. And... uh, it was put together. Shandling and Apatow became very, very close friends over the years of making the Larry Sanders show. And when Gary Shandling passed away, his family got in touch with Apatow and said, we have found a couple of boxes that contain Larry's diaries from when he was a kid right through up to when he passed. And they wanted Judd to read them. They gave these diaries to Judd and Judd read them. And he, he found out so much about Chandling that he didn't know about all the years he was working with him. He had a troubled childhood, et cetera, et cetera. And the documentary is amazing. Now, the documentary is amazing if you've watched The Larry Sanders Show because pre The Larry Sanders Show, Chandling had a show called It's the Gary Chandling Show, which was equally, it's, it's known as a groundbreaking TV comedy single camera. So as a recommendation, I'm giving you the Larry Sanders show, six glorious seasons of it, the greatest sitcom ever made. And as an addendum, I'm going to give you the Zen Diaries of Gary Shanding, written and directed by Judd Apatow. Please, if you have any interest in television, in film, in, in showbiz, if you have any interest in comedy, in writing, in producing, in directing, watch the Larry Sanders show now. It's called uh, Enter the Wu-Tang, and it's their very newest CD. How you doing, guys? Hey, what's going on? How are you? Hank Kingsley. Hey, bro. How are you doing, man? Hey. I'm sorry I didn't get that? Hey, all right. I'm into that. Well, I just want to tell you guys I'm, uh, hey, man. How you doing? Yeah. I'm really thrilled for you guys to be here. I, I got to tell you, my absolute favorite song is uh, Shame on the It's good song. Sorry? Good song. It's good yeah. song. Hey, where's the dirty old bitch? Mm-hmm. Old dirty bastard, right? Old dirty bastard, old dirty bastard. Get it straight, man. Get it straight. Where, where, where is she?
Great recommendation, Simon, and brilliant use of the word addendum. Really impressed by that. (laughs) All right, it's time this week to bring in Brian Martin Lloyd. You learn something new every week. Good, Good morning, good day, good afternoon, Brian Martin Lloyd. Brian Martin How did you know that? Call me strange, but I read the uh, people's emails addresses on emails. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. Because, yeah okay. That is information you have freely offered. That's well, true. I think, I think for the purposes of today's episode, then we should just refer to each other by our middle names. So we have Martin doing the film reviews. What's your middle name, Ado? Tarquin. It is it really? Tall. No, it's not. Yeah, we'd have, we'd have had famous uh, Tarquin in the family back in the 19th Bollocks. century. He was a, a, a traveling um, salesman. I can tell you a line because your lips are moving. What's your middle yeah. name? Robert. Right, Robert. And I'm William. So we have Robert, William, Martin, and JC, who's back uh, this week. Welcome back, Johnny. Welcome Thanks, back. Guys. My middle name is Rudiger. Ah. It's not, it's Eamon. Eamon. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Eamon. Robert, Martin, and William. This is not going to be confusing at all. No. Right. Uh, Martin, you're very welcome. Thank you. Hi, Marty. Glad, glad Martin, Marty in the morning. Glad to be here. Yeah. What did you and Brian go and see in the cinema this week? <laughs> um, we were talking about it last week. It's, um, it's uh, Emily. It's this uh, biopic, if you like, um, of uh, Emily Bronte. Emily. How did you write Wuthering Heights? <laughs> right, I'm off then. Oh, Christ, another Emily um, Bronte you, thingy. But no, seriously, I, I presume... Have you ever done, actually, a period drama, Simon? Just out of curiosity. Did David, did David Copperfield, did Charles Dickens years ago. Yes, yeah. that's right. And that was like your first film, wasn't it? Correct, Amundo, yes. But did you do any ones after that, or was it just... Uh, have I done? Yeah, I did one called The Seventh Stream with Scott Glenn. That was kind of a period piece set in there. Oh, yeah. With Saffron Burroughs, Fiona Shaw, uh, Stanley Townsend. <clears throat> Great craft, but it was an utter pile of shite and onions, the actual uh, finished product. But yeah, they're a pain in the arse to do because you're wearing these stupid costumes with millions of layers on them. And it's, yeah, your hair is bouffant. But uh, yeah, no, not my bag. No, no, I definitely, I mean, see, this is it, because usually, like, the reason I ask that is because normally is the case with period dramas is is that the acting is very, very stilted, you know, like, it's very much like, it's all kind of comedy and manners, the the clothes that they wear are so kind of formal, and it kind of yeah. brings out very, very formal performances in it, but what I really enjoyed about uh, Emily was, was the fact that probably the, one of the most natural-looking a naturally acted um, period dramas I've seen in, in a long, mm. long time. And the reason I think for that is, is that the cast that they got was so good because okay. you have Adrian Dunbar in it, right? Who is playing Emily Bronte's father. And he was this. Let me uh, guess, is his character from the North of Ireland? Yeah, but like he, but he has mm. his accent. But like, I mean, that's actually, no, but that's uh, actually accurate because the Brontes were were Anglo-Irish like you know what I mean so it does make sense that he does have an Irish accent I'll give him a pass on that one go on yeah so I'll give him a pass on that one 
Um, Emma Mackey is the title character, and if you've been, I don't know if you've seen the show Sex Education, but she's on it and she's brilliant in it. Hot tubs aren't really my thing. What is your thing then? Complex female characters. Rising star, gonna be huge. Blah 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 blah. The character she plays in Sex Education is this really kind of like freewheeling sort of doesn't really give a shit, and and that kind of plays into her performance here, and that like you know Emily Bronte was this very kind of wild a weirdo really in that kind of reading era and then you have her <laughs> love interest what i'm just am i losing like i love that idea of the weirdo, the weirdo. Era. that wuthering heights weird i just visions of our visions of her living in our mansion upstairs on her phone not coming down for our dinner being a weirdo coming to dress that's black. it but no but that's see that's again that's the thing of it is like They've, it's it's done quite subtly, but it's like, yeah, like she was the middle child of the three of them. Like, so she is kind of the weirdo and she does kind of like fall back a little bit in a crowd and everything. And and I think, again, like that's just I think that's really clever that they're using sort of a sort of modern kind of what's the word? Modern context, if you know yeah. what I mean, to kind of make it make us understand it. Because, again, is that, a, is that a thing, Brian, that middle children are weird? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I'm married to one, and and like she's not. <laughs> it's true though. My brother, my my brother is the same as well. My brother is the odd one out of the three of us, and generally no. But like I mean, not that I give much thought to birth and order or anything like that. But it is true. Like middle children always generally tend to be a little bit more sensitive, a little bit. You know, they don't quite fit in because, like, obviously, you know, the eldest child is usually, you know, the high achiever. And then, the you know, the baby is obviously the one that kind of gets their way with everything. And the middle child is the one that is, you know, stuck in the middle. And that's that is the case. And I think that's played out very well here in this film is that they really do get that thing of, you know, Emily Bronte wrote one book. It was Water and Heights. But then her sister went off and she was Charlotte Bronte and she did, you know, Jane Eyre and did all these other books and everything else and became more successful. But your one Emily Bronte, she only wrote one book and she died young. And it was more, arguably, Wuthering Heights had more impact than any of the work that her sister did, even though her sister wrote more books and was more popular in, in, a contemporary, in her contemporary time. But, you know, further on, Obviously, into our time, Wuthering Heights has become more, uh, more became more popular because it was a very explicit book. Like it was a very kind of like gothic. It was all about like you know people dying young and having affairs and all that kind of stuff. And again, in that in that time period, that was considered very, very dramatic and very scandalous, almost like. And her own personal life was pretty scandalous as well. And that's all kind of covered in the film. So I really enjoyed it. Um, performance, the central performance is, is a highlight. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I'm saying to you. Like, you're one Emma Mackey. Like, she really is like one of these, like, um, you can see that she's going to go far in it because you can see there's a lot of, there's a lot of intelligence behind every choice that she makes. It's not just a sort of like naturally reacting to every scene. You can actually see that she's, you can see the motor is moving, you know? Um, and her love interest is this guy, Oliver Jackson Cohen. Um, he's this English actor. He was in The Invisible Man. I don't know if, did, did you see that? John, John's giving me the thumbs up there. John, what did you think? I really loved it. I thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was going to be kind of standard cinema fair, but it was really entertaining. Yeah. I thought uh, the performance is very good and it had a, a bit of depth to it. Yeah. And the invisible man in question is this guy, Oliver Jackson Cohen, but like 
He's only really in it. He's only in it for like, I'd say about like seven minutes, only at the start and then again at the end. But like the impact that he has in like a small period of time is really, really potent. Like he reminded me a lot of Michael Rooker. Did you ever see that film, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer? Okay, well, it was this horror film in the 90s anyway, where Michael Rooker was playing this nut job and... Oliver Jackson Cohen reminded me a lot of him in it, like that real kind of intensity and stuff. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, like Emily, like it's it's very intense. Like for a period drama, it's very, very intense, and I think the performances match it as well. So. <clears throat> it sounds like it's going in the right direction. Would you, uh, in any way, be need to be a fan of the period dramas? I mean, we've seen a fair explosion of them on yeah. on TV in the last number of years, particularly with the likes of shows like. Bridgerton. Do you need to be, and maybe even Downton Abbey, you could call it period drama. But even Sanditon and Poldark and all that, I don't know. Poldark, yeah. Do you need to be a fan? I I mean, I suppose it helps, yeah. I suppose it would help. I mean, I think this is good enough. I mean, certainly the performances are good enough, and the story is, the, the script is well written. It's written by written and directed by Frances O'Connor, who was, um, this is her first film, like, and it's very very impressive, like for a first film, mm. like the first. She's an actress as well, isn't she? Yeah, she was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. This is like I said. This is her first. Um, this is her first time directing. Right. And she wrote it as well. And I, I mean, no, I don't think you need to be a fan necessarily. Obviously, it helps, but like, no, you don't need to be a fan at all. You yeah. learned a fair bit about Emily Bronte, um, because apart from going, oh yeah, she wrote Wuthering Heights. Um, mm. maybe people, wouldn't, unless you studied her in you know school, you might know yeah. a whole lot about her. So, do you learn a lot about? the real her or is it very dramatized it's quite drama i mean it's it's okay it's somewhat dramatized i mean you know there are like there are known facts about her and her family like she did die young that's in the film um her brother was um a bit of a bit of a mess, bit of a mess like you know he was addicted to opium and stuff like this and had affairs with people. That's in the book, or sorry, that's in the film. She was like known as a bit of an oddball. <clears throat> that's in the. That's obviously in the film as well. That's kind of the central part of it. But um, I mean, it's it it is dramatized. I mean, it's it's what I would say. It's quite a. It's a bit more explicit than most period dramas, you know, because most period dramas generally tend to be quite chaste. This isn't that at all. Like, I mean, I think it's like a 16 rating here or something like that, which is wow. pretty, you know, you have to work hard to get that off of Ifco. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you really do. John, I just realised as well. Yeah. Francis O'Connor was in The Conjuring too with me. I don't know. I think he's been walking The crooked man stepped forth and rang the crooked bell. And thus his crooked soul spiraled into a crooked hell. That's right. Yeah, she played Peggy. That's yeah. fucking right. I totally forgot about that. Six degrees of separation. There Jesus you go. Christ. You remember Less. her? I do, yeah. An absolute sweetheart. A lovely, lovely lady. Great yeah, she was Australian, too. wasn't she? That's right, yeah. yeah. Lovely, lovely lady. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, she was... Lo- yeah, she- and she was. Yeah. I-, I interviewed her last week. She was great. Great crack, so she was. There you go, yeah. There you go. Now, she obviously lost my number because I'm not in that... Uh, <laughs> that movie but anyway I could see you but this is it I'm surprised why you haven't like done more period work like because I could see it like could totally so what, Lord Stuffington. what, yeah, what like, character would Simon have been in this movie would he have been the dad downstairs going would you get off your iPhone Emily and come down and have you had I'd, love, I'd love to play a bastard in a period thing I could see it like I could imagine I'm not being funny but I could totally imagine you in one of those red coats like you know that kind of way like, <laughs> the, like the the British army red coats like Yes, with a little, with yeah. a little wig, with a little wig, and the well. little mustache. 
Yeah. Totally yeah. true. Well, like, well put it out there, it might happen. Yeah, the brilliant Robert Harris has just released his uh, latest book. It's uh, Beyond Oblivion or something like that. And it's yes. set all in the Cromwellian era. And it's it's getting rave reviews. I've yet to read it because I'm on a previous book of his. But uh, many of his books have been turned into movies, Simon. So just keep that one in your back oh, pocket. And you could be... Uh, okay. Uh, an L round head coming down the track in a few years. Well, listen, let's let's uh, let's give Francis O'Connor's directorial debut an official rating on the Richter scale, the chocolate Richter scale, which is zero from zero to twenty. Bry, where are we going? Fifteen out of twenty. This is very. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's very yeah. impressive. It's nice to hear there's something uh, and hear about something. <clears throat> Good. That's in the cinema because uh, a lot of shit has got has got through, yes. got through the gaps in the last in the last few months. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. So that's All a right. bona fide thumbs up from Uncle Martin. Is it Martin's middle name? Yeah. 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 Well, well remembered, yeah. Uh, William. Cool. Well remembered. Uh, Uncle Eamon wants to wants us to chat through something this week, chaps. So, uh, Uncle Eamon, as we, as we discussed at the uh, at the start of the podcast, <clears> has had a, a life changing event in in the last couple of uh, weeks. In fact. And that is the birth of his young baby son, Lenny. So you've watched a lot of TV uh, late at night, JC, over the past while. And uh, a lot of a particular genre you want to get but into? Before we get to that, what's Lenny's middle name? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Oh, you're going to give out to me for this one. No, we're his not. middle name is Blue. Blue. Color Blue. God, they shit. Blue. Blow. There's a lot of reasons for it. I love the color. It's got to do with a lot of albums I love. I just want to be a bit different. Favorite um, boy band? Yeah. Wow. We settled on, on that. Why is there a problem with that, uh, Simon? No, no. I think it's. I think it's adorable. <laughs> blue, baby Lady blue. blue. Very good. Blue. Blue. He could be in Reservoir Dogs. He could yeah, be a lounge singer as well. But look, we'll see how he, he could go. Be. He could be a painter and decorator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could be an onion <laughs> substitute in Republic of Ireland just... squad. You never know. He could be just working the cabaret scene in twenty years' time, doing uh, doing jokes from the from the seventies. Blue, there we go. With a name like Lenny, like he's named after one of the greatest stand-ups of all time, Lenny Henry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Henry, yeah. Hey, I hope he gets his father's wit. Jesus. Uh, anyway, what were you watching over the, uh, <laughs> the period of time where you're not sleeping? So I'd be doing a lot of night feeds, a lot of midnight to five a.m. Uh, still you're such a honest. modern man. You're not allowed to moan about it, John. You know that. Well, you actually, yeah. you can moan here, but not to your wife. I, I just get told to shut, shut. the fuck up. Um, yeah. So watching a lot of kind of maybe older stuff. First couple of seasons of Columbo. Uh, oh, a lot of kind of Bogart. Man. Watch Maltese Falcon again. So just a lot of stuff with kind of detectives, PIs, sleuths, all that, all that kind of jazz. And really enjoying it. But uh, the, the thing that kind of set me off in it was See How They Run was released recently, which is very good. Saoirse Ronan did a very good job in it. Uh, Sam Rockwell he kind of walks his way through, but he's good in it as well. But that kind of, you know, Agatha Christie, more formalized stuff versus the kind of Hollywood 40s and 50s kind yeah. of pulpy, uh, I suppose, take on it. Uh, just been really, really enjoying it. I imagine you guys probably have your favorites. Well, we know, so that, we know that Brian is a huge Columbo fan, aren't you, Brian? What makes you think he was blind, sir? Did you see a blind man on the highway that day? Of course not. You and I both know I was miles away from here when Carl died. But I do have a little medical training. And just for anyone who hasn't listened back to... Uh, episode number seven or whenever it was revealed that uh, one of us on this call, I think it was uh, William, um, 
was possibly going to be uh, reading or casting for a Columbo yeah. uh, movie for, for the central role. There was a remake, yeah. There was, well, I think it's been on the cards for a while, Brian, isn't it? It's been yeah. talked about for years <clears throat> that there's a remake happening. I think Sam Rockwell was actually mentioned, wasn't he? Sam Rockwell was mentioned and uh, Mark Ruffalo was mentioned as... Mark Ruffalo, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Mark Ruffalo was mentioned as a possible... It still uh, hasn't happened, though, I don't think, has it? No. Not even in the pipeline. Would Colombo be your go-to then, Bray? I mean, yeah, to be honest, it would, because, like, and this is something I was was on another radio show and I was talking about this. There's a thing missing, I think, from television nowadays where episodic the episodic nature of television is gone and what i mean by that is is that essentially it is a self-contained story either 60 minutes or 90 minutes long and it's you're in you're out and that's it you don't need the whole serialized thing you don't need to know every single thing about a character in order to get the significance of it it is just self-contained and like detective stories were really good for that because the only person you needed to know coming into it was the main character, in this case, Columbo or Poirot or, you know what I mean? No, the only person you need to know is is the main character and she's going to solve the case by the end of it. And yeah, and I think like Columbo, Columbo particularly, and I'd be interested to see what you think of this, uh, Simon, and you Aiden as well, and you John. Um, I do think Peter Falk as an actor did not get a, a tenth of the recognition or the credit that he deserved for how natural and kind of unfiltered his performance was. Like, it was really natural. Like, you know, whenever, when you see him kind of walking in, and John, you'll know this, when you see him walking in, like, he's just kind of like, he really does just look like he walked off the street and he's just like padding his jacket and he's just looking around. And he was just, at a time when, you know, uh, American television was very still coming from the studio system and everyone was still kind of speaking in that sort of mid-Atlantic accent here was this guy that had like a thick brooklyn accent looked like shit you know hair going one way face going the other way you know one eye looking at you the other one looking for you you know just looked he just looked completely ill at odds like and you had people like you know like Bly Danner in this and Gina Rowlands and John Cassavetes and they all looked amazing and he walked in and he looked like shit and it looked so natural that, you know, nowadays we would look at it and say, oh, yeah, he's re- been really meta. But in the 70s, it was like, no, 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 that's just Peter Falk. That's his whole thing. Like, And I think that's really interesting about Colombo, that it was very much ahead of its time for how natural Peter Falk played. Somebody just took a shot at Mr. Hayward. Yeah, I heard. Now, I told Roe House to forget about surrounding the building because the guy that fired that shot is still in this room. What? What's he talking about? It's all right, everybody. He means me. But you say he wasn't... Uh... <clears throat> he didn't receive the credit. He he won four primetime Emmys for it and a Golden Globe. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, he's in, okay, fine. He didn't go on to have a huge film career. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. He did, like, Husbands with John Cassavetes or whatever and, and Ben Gadara. Yeah. But, like, he never. I, I mean, I would put his I would put his talent on the same line as somebody like Brando. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think he yeah. was that good. I think, he, I think his naturalism was that good. I think his talent was that good. I just think he. <clears throat> maybe took the easy route by just doing Colombo for, you know, 20, 30 years, you know? Typecast, Brian. <clears throat> he was almost yeah, think yeah. hindered by that role to do other things. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's <clears throat> it. I think he just, yeah. 
he looked into a hit. He he looked into a hit, and he was like, "Right, I'm not going to leave this, and I'm just yeah. going to keep after it." And you know, and I think that's fine. I think you know, like a job an actor, like you just take the work, like you know, that kind of way. And but I fine. think as a jobbing actor, though, as well, Bry, I think you know when you know when he when you're shooting a series like Columbo. You know, you choose to sign up to it and all that, but then you probably he was probably shooting nine, ten months a year on that. Yeah. So it afforded him little time, but he did he did pop up the odd time. Like he was in he was in the Princess Bride. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the Player. Yeah. Yeah. But those were you all know, after so, Colombo. Like, as in, like during the seventies, well, like when he yeah, was at suppose, his height, yeah. it was just all Colombo. Like, I mean, the only other film he did, I think, in the seventies, like, might have been either Husbands or. Um, he now. did. He did three films in the seventies. He did Murder by Death. He did the movie called The Cheap Detective, and then a movie called The In Laws. Yeah, they were all seventies, and then, as you say, it sort of disappeared. He 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 appeared then. Princess Bride in eighty seven. Wings of Desire. Never heard of it. Then the player, and his last movie was two thousand seven. No, he was working he, right up. An incredible career, like a really incredible career. Oh, and yeah, it's yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I just much I loved. Kind of, I think with actors like him. I always just kind of think of like the road not taken, do you know, that kind of way. Like what yeah. would have been if he had done this, like, you know. Not to be calling him lazy, but like Columbo was what, 30 years that series mm. of series he ran? There's only about 70 episodes. Like he yeah. took it fairly handy, like, and yeah. don't get me wrong, they are like kind of movie lengths nearly each and every one of them. But uh, what I wanted to kind of talk about as well is the idea that him they're never violent. They never overpower people like that. They're always just mm. kind of, you know, kneeling away at them and just so persistent. How no one turned around and caved their head in after their like constant <laughs> questioning, and they just wouldn't feck off. They, they're giving them the answers. There you go, Colombo. That's all I have to say to you. Leave me alone. And he's like, oh yeah, Grant. And they come home that night. He's sitting in their study, like with the lights off, yeah, yeah, having a cigar. It's, a- it's like. Why has no one taken a shot at that guy? All five foot six of them. Yeah. You know, and you look at um, more modern day ones, uh, again, with ti- t- titular characters, titular characters. What's that, what's that phrase? Titular, titular. Okay. I'm, my point being the likes of Luther or Sherlock. And every five minutes they were, you know, about to be beaten to death, shot to death, covered in acid. You know, the, the bad guys were onto them pretty quick. Whereas you're that right. That says more about the audience either, doesn't it? Well, no, it's, it maybe speaks more to uh, the, the true abilities of the likes of a Colombo that they yeah. had. Uh, uh, an ingenuity and uh, a disarming charm to get you just to, by just pure persistence, they get you to go, all right, fuck it, it was me. Um, I'm glad well, maybe you that's made- what I'm saying. Maybe that's why I know that the remakes never happen because maybe is the world ready for a show like that? To no, be it might all be a bit too, uh, a bit too twee. Cerebral. And- well, yeah, and just not, not violent enough. I mean, our recommendation, which we mentioned earlier from Sky, is Gangs of London, um, which is not necessarily, uh, well, it's a crime drama. It's not a detective piece. But Christ yeah. almighty, like that is just full on violence, you know what I mean? And they're maybe uh, yeah. feeding the audience's desire. So I think maybe the likes of the Columbo and, you know, even Magnum P.I. or or A-Team Night Rider. Oh, well, there's oh, a show. You know, it like, you know, in the A-Team, like, you know, helicopters, crashed into mountains and blew up and people got out of them and walked away. Do you know what I mean? TV was yeah. far more, uh, it was like bowling with bumpers back then. You know, no one, no one By the way, realized. Magnum P.I. had probably one of the greatest theme tunes ever. Off you go.
That was brilliant. Love it. Tom Selleck with the Des Kelly carpet sample on his chest. Love it. Love it. I actually, I, have, I actually have a, Hawaii, a red Hawaiian T-shirt upstairs. Oh, I love it. What about uh, what about shows like uh, the Rockford Files? Anyone remember? Yes, that? really like yes. that. James Garner, James Garner. or James Garner, even. Give me a dime. I'm gonna crack you open like a piggy bank. Well, I hope nobody forgot the peanut butter sandwiches. If Agent Slater lays a hand on me, I'm gonna close it up like a cherry stone. You're gonna be talking to my lawyer. Yes, yeah. James Garner. Yeah, and, and one of my favorites from. Uh, I don't know whether it's a favourite of mine, but I just remember watching it. Uh, I think it was early 80s. BBC series called Shoestring. Do you remember that? Anyone no. know Shoestring? If you'd like to call around, Mr. Shoestring, at say about 7.30, we could have a chat about it and see if there's anything you can do to help with the problem. What was that about? That's so it was a kind of a parochial kind of uh, TV series and the lead detective was... Uh, Eddie Shoe, Eddie Shoestring, yeah, and it used to be. On, I think it used to be on every Saturday night on the Babe. Um, so I'm just very quickly looking her up here. It was 21 uh, episodes. Uh, British Dete- Trevor Eve played uh, Shoestring. There was this. I don't know if he's, any has ever watched the Fast Show, but there was this uh, recurring sketch, and I called Monkfish, and it was basically <laughs> like. A London detective sent down to the country, like it was a piss take of like BBC detective dramas. <laughs> but it was really funny. The man would just walk into the middle of a crime scene. All right, drop your trousers, get us a cup of tea. Let's get, it. get to it. Right, I'm in charge here. What's that? It's her husband, Monkfish. Inspector Monkfish to you. I've ascertained the time of death at 9.15. Have you really? What do you want? A biscuit? Go <laughs> in your Jarvis. Excuse me. I realise it's must be a very difficult time for you. So put your knickers on and go and get me a cup of tea. Gloria, <laughs> take your boyfriend upstairs and find me a murder weapon. Move! Yeah. And you, my love, go and keep my car seat warm. Go <laughs> on! I want to talk about films as well, actually. Uh... Couple of films I watched recently, rewatched that I absolutely love, and probably my favourite depiction of a detective is Jack Nicholson, Chinatown, Jay Geddes. What are the blues? They're calling it an accident. Who's the investigating officer? Lou Escobar. He's a lieutenant. You know him? Oh yeah. Where from? We used to work together in Chinatown. Would you call him a capable man? Very. Honest? As far as it goes. Of course, he has to swim in the same water we all do. You know, Maury Dubious, uh, seemingly motivated by money, but just a nosy bastard, really, at the at the base of it. I've never seen it. You've never seen Chinatown? Jesus oh, Christ, Simon. It's on a list. It's disgraceful. I know, sorry. I don't generally get it. people's faces, but not seeing the film, but look, it's... A wholesale classic, like it's an amazing film. Yeah, I will. In, all, in all seriousness, Simon, you would actually love it. It is oh. right up your alley. You would really, really love it. It's on the list, kiddo. It's on the list. I apologize to all our listeners and to you too, particularly. What's so good two about quick ones. or particularly Jack Nicholson as that detective in China? Nicholson. I mean, I read a very good book, uh, The Big Goodbye, talking about how Nicholson kind of came back from an ill-fated kind of European sojourn, and he was wrecked up for two days, walked on set. And didn't really know his lines incredibly well, but just delivered this masterful performance because he was back in L.A. working with like Robert Town, his boyhood friend, like Bob Evans, in a comfortable kind of setting. And then you had Polanski pulling the strings. Like it was 
a kind of lightning in a bottle for films. Like everything came together beautifully, and the story itself is not just a a who done it or you know uh, one bad guy. It's a it's a really kind of sprawling kind of epic story. Kind of so it's very much kind of shrunk down into the lives of a few people. Two other uh, mentions quickly. Uh, I think the Coen Brothers do kind of detectives and kind of does mystery films really well. One I love obviously is Fargo. Frances McDormand. She has that, as you say, Columbo vibe of you know she never gets violent. It's all in her words and her approach, but she's indomitable. Like she's going to get to the heart of the matter no matter what. And then another one which is the complete opposite side of the coin, and that's the Big Lebowski, where Jeff Bridges is kind of intermittently investigating what the hell's going on with his uh, the disappearance of his rug. You know these violent people turning up at his doorstep. Uh, this other man named Lebowski and this, all of this kind of kidnapping subplot that's going on. They were looking for you, these two guys. Uh, you know, I'll they... say it again. You told Brandt on the phone. He told me. I know what happened. Yes, yes. Oh, so you know that they were trying to piss on your rug. Did I urinate on your rug? You mean, did you personally come and pee on my rug? Hello. Do you speak English, sir? Parlo usted inglés? I'll ask you again. Did I urinate on your rug? one of the very best films but it's a, a very strange uh what would you call it almost elevated detective story in the midst of what is you know a very kind of wacky comedy as well um they're just some of the and, ones i've been and kind of on late. performance is staggering oh it. yeah i see you roll your way to the semis dios mio man liam and me we're gonna fuck you up yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion, man. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy shit with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes, I'll take it away from you and stick it up your ass and pull the fucking trigger till it goes click. Jesus. You said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. He's great in everything, though. He is, yeah, in fairness, too. Um... Movie-wise, then, I mean, are there any characters you'd like to see, or even TV-wise, any of those detectives that you'd like to see revisited, apart from the obvious Columbo? I've got one I'd love to see uh, brought back into television form, but this may be sacrilege because I don't know who could play him off the top of my head. But what about Dirty Harry? Nah, bollocks. Nah. They couldn't, would, you, they couldn't, would it be an American, though? another Dirty Harry in this day and age. Dirty like, Harry. Dirty Harry. No, but, but, like, the reality of it is, is you can't... Like, even in the 70s, this is the thing that people forget. Even in the 70s, Dirty Harry was, politi- was like, just ridiculously controversial because, like, you had, like, you know, the Kent State shootings. You had, like, police uh, brutality was very, very common. And to see it done the way that it was done in Dirty Harry was effectively glorifying it. But interestingly... Mm. The very next film that came after <clears throat> Dirty Harry was Magnum Force. I don't know if any of you ever saw that one. Christ it's my favourite one. Your gun's out of its holster, Briggs. First time. You know you're not going to City Hall, Callahan. The only way you're going anywhere is in a rubber bag. Yeah, and it's the one, if so, if you don't know, Magnum Force was basically about this group of um, San Francisco biker cops. Yeah. Um, one of them was um, David Soule before he did um, Starsky and Hutch. And they're basically going around killing mob bosses um, without any kind of, without any trial, without any due process or whatever. They literally just drive up beside them, pull them over for a speeding ticket or something like that, and then open up and just kill them all and drive off. 
This car registered to you? To him. I'll have to see the registration. Come on, give me that license. It was written by John Milius, and John Milius is this like really right wing writer. He wrote like Apocalypse Now. He directed Red Dawn. Very very conservative, but he even wrote Magnum Force as a kind of an idea of, you know, violence. Whatever, you know, violence by police is still violence, but that like it's law and order is what you know Dirty Harry is supposed to represent. Like, and you know the thing that made Dirty Harry so interesting was, was that it was like the down and dirty reality of being a detective is that like, you know, you frequently are sent after, you know, uh, rapists and you're sent after, you know, degenerates and all that kind of stuff. Like, and how much of that does that actually latch on to you? Do you know that sort of way? And I think, you know, that kind of thing of like, you know, the, the line between a, a police and, and criminal is not that much. Like, he did that, you know, way better. You know, like it's it's more common now to have that sort of ambiguity between a, a cop and a criminal. But in Dirty Harry, I think it's like, I don't think you could do that now just because, I mean, one, like there's protests over police in America nearly every day. Like there's, yeah. and you have people being shot by cops willy nilly. Like there was that one, did you see that video recently of that kid that was like, he was in the McDonald's or something like that. Yeah. And the cop just yeah. opens up the door, get out. And your man like just tr- tries to go for like the, tries to like key out the car or something like that. And the cop just like shoots him right out. Like it's horrible. Like you know, he survived or whatever, but like, it's just, I'm saying like Dirty Harry, as much as I love that. And I think Dirty Harry is a brilliant film. I just don't know if it would work as a, as a remake and an important point to make given the the current climate of recent years in america and the relationship uh, the very fractured and controversial relationship the public have with law enforcement so maybe yeah. you know and it's been such a, a wealth of a, a genre to go to on movies and tvs for the last on tv for the last 50 years maybe it's not something that the movie commissioning editors in Netflix and 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 in but the big houses are considering making <clears throat> at the moment because they're like yeah that whole police thing maybe is it's not, a, not a not a good topic right now. Maybe it's a different conversation, but cop shows. You know, look at look at the cop shows now compared to the likes of Hill Street Blues and mm. <clears throat> that back back in the day. If you if you look at something like uh, Blue Bloods now, it's very it's, it's not sacred, but it's almost. No, no, final point, just a final, final point. Like, you mentioned Hill Street Blues. That was a fucking brilliant show. I loved Hill Street so Blues. So did I, mm. yeah, great yeah. show. And Hill Street Blues did something that is completely missing from, like, 95% of cop shows nowadays. It actually humanized them. Hey, you think I need this crap, Ferrillo? $490 a week? To cozy up to the slime of this city for 10 hours a day? You think I need that? Let me tell you something, man. I put my butt on the line for 12 years for this department. I got three citations. I got a higher arrest tally than any clown in this room. And if I got if I got a few personal problems, it's this lousy, stinking, rotten job that gave them to me. It was so humanizing, like it was really 100%. like hundred percent. It was a show about the cops and their relationships. It was yeah. Almost looked like Cagney and Lacey was the same. 
Yeah, to a certain degree. Yes, they degree, had crimes to solve. A bit more comedic, but like... Yeah, but they had crimes to solve, but it was their relationships with their families and with each yeah. other and, and how that dynamic worked or didn't work, you know? Yeah. I well, think that's another day's work. I'll, I'll finish on what I think then is the, the perfect TV cop show um, of recent years. Um, that won't offend anyone or is not controversial or the cops aren't bent or anything like that. And that is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the finest yes. detectives, Jake Peralta, played by Andy Samberg. I smell bacon! And guess what else, Captain? You can take this tie and shove it straight into your hellhole! This whole place reeks of bacon! And guess what? I'm going kosher! Cause Jakey don't dig on swine. Woo! What a note to finish on, uh, Martin. We shall send you off into the sunset. Thank you very much for joining us this I'm week, dear boy. Ta ta. He's watching the detectives. Ooh, he's so cute. She's watching the detectives. When they shoot, 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 shoot. Beating up until the teardrops start. So uh, uh, young Martin heads off at the sunset, having given the Emily Bronte movie a 15 out of 20 chocolate orange segment recommendation. Brilliant. Ada, what does Sky give us this week? Yeah, I was pleased by Brian's recommendation this week. So Sky, give us something not so uh, gentle and periodic as Emily Bronte. It's Gangs of London and it's season two and it's more violent and more bloody than ever because Finn Wallace, head of the crime family who've been running London, is dead. And now we've got to find out who killed him. Excellent. Beautifully delivered in a South Wales accent. Um, and I gave you the, uh, the Larry Sanders show, the brilliant, the brilliant Larry Sanders show and the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, which was a documentary Judd Apatow made about his relationship and the life of Gary Shandling. Get on that. It's available on YouTube. Or if you're lucky enough to find a box set somewhere, order two and send one to me. Edo, what have you learned this week? Well, we were discussing the various different uh, television detectives, movie detectives over the year. I have learned in, in my uh, research that Cabot Cove, which was the, the, the village, the seaside town where Murder, She Wrote was set, has the highest murder rate in the world. Has it really? I'll expand on that by telling you Cabot Cove has a population of three, had a population of 3,560. There was only four people. Across 12 years of the TV show, there was 60 murders, which averages five murders a year, which uh, is a wow. more than significantly high number. So it puts Cabot Cove as one of the most dangerous places on earth. So just uh, be forewarned wow. if you ever visit. Wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. What have I learned this week, Ado? I've learned <laughs> that spending, spending a lot of money on expensive microphone equipment was a total fucking waste of my time, energy and money. See ya! <laughs> So if if we had the choice, oh for fuck's sake! One, two. I'm back in one ear. Why am I in one ear? That's because I you, can hear myself. Yeah, you've, we're we're hearing you perfectly. You've obviously just touched your, your headphone connection off the the box. Fucking piece <laughs> of shit! This fucking thing. <laughs>